0: Welcome to the second annual Friendsgiving Spectacular. My name is Kenny Ryan. I'm the host of Abridged Presidential Histories. And I'm joined today by my good friend, Jerry Landry, host of the Presidencies of the United States podcast.
1: Hello. How's everyone doing today?
0: Doing great, (laughs) Jerry. We got Alicia with us, host of Civics and Coffee podcast.
2: Howdy, howdy.
0: Howdy, howdy. And we've also got (laughs) Howard Dory of Plotting
3: Through the Presidents. Hey, I'm excited to be here.
0: We're excited to have you. Uh, I'm going to give everyone a chance to tell us a little bit more about their podcast in a bit. But first, I want to introduce the format for the show. What are we doing today? Each of us prepared one question for each other participant. So we'll be playing a little bit of hot potato. Whoever receives a question, will ask the next question. And you know, friends, now that we're doing this twice, I think it's (laughs) become a tradition. So I'm I'm excited (laughs) about this new Thanksgiving tradition we have.
1: It's better than the canned... Cranberry sauce that always comes every year. Oh, That's a tradition that we can let go of. This is one that we can bring on. I
2: was going to say, those are some fighting words, Jerry. So there are people that crave that, that cranberry sauce in a can. Yep.
3: So. Need it once a year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Howard, would you mind telling us a bit more about your show?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So my wife, Jess, and I co-host the podcast Plotting Through the Presidents, and we really dive into lesser-known stories, usually of the early United States, having some kind of relationship with the presidents or the founders and their families. Um, Jess doesn't know the stories ahead of time, and I just bring her these stories that I've deeply fallen into a rabbit hole and researched and related to her, and we have a lot of fun uh, just kind of going through them.
0: His is really fun. The uh, reactions <laughs> by your wife are just fantastic and <laughs> For <often sure>. very <laughs> relatable. Uh, you. Alicia, what do you mind telling us a bit about your show?
2: Sure. Uh, Civics and Coffee is history and the time it takes you to drink a cup of coffee. So I take a person, place, event, subject, and I break it down as quickly as I possibly can, trying to highlight the main points, uh, much like a bridge to presidential histories. And um, yeah, I take listener requests. It started off as a COVID project, but it has um, definitely expanded beyond that and has been so much fun and it led me to new experiences like meeting you three. So I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> thank
0: you. And yeah, Alicia's podcast. Great show. Usually like fifteen minute episodes or so and always really fun and compelling stuff. You do a great job with your presentation. Thanks. Well oh, thank you. And Jerry, would you mind telling us about presidencies of the United States?
1: So presidencies kind of takes the other approach instead of (laughs) succinct and abridged. It's the deep dive, everything that you never knew you wanted to know about presidential history. But I started with the premise of going beyond just the individual who's serving as chief executive because there are so many other people, so many other events that are lesser known, but that contributed to either the success or failure of a presidency. And so in presidencies, we explore all of that. We're going through each presidency one by one, but also I've done a couple of special series spinoffs looking at the lives of the cabinet members in the see at the table series. And we're starting a series on the vice presidencies of the United States. Even though everybody assumes that they were doing nothing,
3: they really (laughs) were doing
1: a few things at least.
0: I look forward to vice presidencies of the United States. Will that also be like 50 episodes on East vice president, Jerry?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just one, maybe two. I'm having to break up. Aaron Burr into two because it's Aaron Burr. (laughs) Oh, he's crazy. (laughs) Cool.
0: As for my show, Abridged Presidential Histories covers the successes, setbacks, and scandals of the presidents in order in 60 minutes or less. Uh, I also will feature historian interviews for deeper dives on some of the biggest topics. If you enjoy any one of our podcasts, you'll probably enjoy the others. So we encourage you to check them all out. Um, So let's dive into the questions. Jerry, I'm going to start with one for you. Nobody dives deep into presidential history like Jerry Landry. In the past <laughs> six years, I look this up. You have produced more than two hundred episodes on Washington, Adams, Jefferson, and Madison. You are questionably, arguably, one president shy of having covered the entire founding generation. You know, it kind of depends. Do you consider Monroe or, and John Quincy part of that or not? What do you think is the biggest mistake the founding generation made? aside from not abolishing slavery.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the the obvious one. <laughs> but they did make some other mistakes. And again, that's one of the things that I love about presidencies and being able to do this deep dive is really getting into what was going on, taking them off of that pedestal and looking at these individuals as people who are flawed, who make mistakes. And to me, one of the biggest mistakes that they made was engaging in dirty politics. You know, we think of mm-hmm. the founding generation and the early republic as being this time of all these people just respectfully disagreeing. And it was not the case. They had journalists who were scandal mongers. And, you know, even though James Callender is the one that usually pops into people's minds, it was happening not just on the Democratic-Republican side, but also on the Federalist side, they were spreading rumors and innuendos and, oh, well, if Jefferson becomes president, you're going to have to hide your Bible because he's going to take them all away from everybody. You have rumors about James Madison pimping out his wife and sister-in-law to (laughs) foreign dignitaries. You have all these things going on, and it was dirty politics. And the leaders who we put on those pedestals, like Jefferson, like Madison, they not only knew this was going on, they helped to establish it. Jefferson, as Secretary of State, puts Philip Furneau on the payroll at the State Department so that he can found an opposition paper opposing the administration that he's in. Right. You know, this is something that is not anything new. This this dirty politics and this back and forth and, and spreading, you know, fake news. It it's nothing new. It was happening in the early republic. And even though at any time anybody can say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna back away from that. We are we're gonna say this is wrong. Let's do something else. I think having that precedent set so early on and by figures that we look to in our national mythos as the the people that we're supposed to be following, the people that we're supposed to be emulating, it makes it that much harder to break away from that and do something different. Like some people at that time wanted to, and some people said that they were, but they really weren't.
0: That's a really good answer. Thank you, Jerry.
1: (laughs) Well, I try. (laughs) 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 So I've got the next question, and this is for Alicia. So, Alicia, we've discussed this topic before, but for the sake of our listeners, would you mind sharing some of the challenges you faced as a podcaster and historian dedicated to sharing information on the lives and legacies of the First ladies? but hitting that period in American history in the pre-Civil War era where there are so little primary sources from which to draw upon about these individuals. And kind of as a second part to that, what advice would you give to students of history, including of course this humble podcaster, because <laughs> I do try and have, I try and do a focus on each first lady as well. You know, what advice would you give to us who would like to learn as much as possible about these women Who possibly played a larger role in history than the records might lead us to believe?
2: Yeah, I think uh, to your to your first point, even unpopular, quote unquote, unpopular presidents, right? Like Franklin Pierce is probably not a guy that is going to be selling books, uh, you know, by and large. But there have been books written about him there's been investigations into his life his administration his his legacy so on and so forth and that's not always the case with first ladies and part of that obviously is because even if you were a bad president um you were still president so you still left records everywhere right and almost all of them had a legislative career or a military career so there was this natural saving of of letters and memoranda and so on and so forth. So <clears throat> I think for historians, there's just a lot more with which to look at and kind of build an argument. And that's not always the case with women, uh, the the wives of these presidents. And so for me, um, it's been kind of a bummer because um, as I've grown in my, my program, I'm becoming more and more aware that I slant towards women's history and really love women's history and always wanted to make sure that uh, the first ladies got their due. So hitting those specific women where there's just not a lot written has been a little frustrating. Um, I would say Alita Black has written a pretty decent introduction to the women behind the great men of history. And she's also a fabulous historian. I got to meet her over the summer, which was, um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like the Oscars. I was like, oh my God, it's Leah Black. Um, But she's written a really good treatment about kind of, um, you know, just basic introductions into the First Ladies. I think I'm very lucky in the fact that right now I'm in school, so I have access to a university library and all of the academic journals, and so um, I would recommend even Google Scholar. If Sometimes you get really lucky and you get an academic article or two, and that's probably gonna be about as close as most of us people who don't have access to the archives and and so on and so forth. Um, That's probably gonna be your best bet. Um, and then don't be afraid of looking at unconventional methods, right? So a lot of the episodes that I've built lately have come from people who have written letters about these women. So again, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily their diaries because they got into a habit of burning letters and burning diaries, or maybe they didn't feel confident enough in their literacy. And so they made sure that nobody else saw their papers, um, But, you know, there have been other people who have written about them. And so you can kind of tease together at least the perceptions of who they were. Um, And some of these women and some of these families, they have house museums. Now, obviously, house museums are going to be slanted in a positive uh, light to the former owner. But again, you get a sense of who they were, what was important to them, what did they prioritize, at least in a domestic sense, to give you a kind of a a fuller picture uh, of who that person was. And so you have to get creative, uh, unfortunately. And then sometimes you just, you know, you have to realize you only have access to your local library. Maybe you're lucky and you live in a college town and you can go to the university library. But, you know, not a lot of first ladies have robust archives. So you got to make do with what you got.
1: Thank you. So.
2: And so my question is for Howard, you have had some pretty exciting developments with your show this year. And so given your show's setup, it's pretty primed, in my humble opinion, for a special live audience recording. So would you ever consider doing a live show? And also more importantly, where do I get the tickets?
3: that you i mean you're so kind first of all thank you so much um but yeah it's been it's been a really exciting year we just joined the airwave media podcast network um we're planning to relaunch around presidents day 2024 you know presidents day election year no pressure you know <laughs> um but it's it's really exciting as far as a live show um i have a background in improv back in college i did weekly shows for 4 years um a few sketch shows too Jess did even more theater in junior high and high school than I did. Um, So bottom line, we're both hams for sure. Um, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable now behind a microphone uh, where I have the power of editing um, and writing ahead of time and then editing, not just for a streamlined sort of flow, but also sometimes I'm like, oh, I said the wrong thing. I get to change that. A live audience, not so much um but still absolutely the answer is yes i'd absolutely be down to do some kind of live shows um with me and jess i mean the first thing i think is oh man we'd have to find a babysitter but I think <laughs> we, could, we could probably bring, why can't you bring the kid um you know sometimes we cover things about presidential history that uh, aren't appropriate for kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the way that some presidents talked and, and we talk certainly isn't sometimes. Um, but yeah, I'd love to do that. I think that one of the first things you need is to have the the demand before mm-hmm. you actually do a live show. And I don't know how you get that. So I, I might suggest maybe, uh, uh, you might want to write to your congressperson. I'm not sure if that's Got how it. that works, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that might be the best first route. One thing I just wanted to add to something you were saying, Alicia, uh, Studying women's history, something I found difficult as like a sort of digital <laughs> detective uh-huh. is searching newspaper archives. When it comes to women, their names might be four different ways. You've oh, got their first name, last name. You've got Mrs. This. You've got Mrs. Husband's first name, last name. Um, if their husband's first name is William, you've got W.M. period. There's a million different permutations for finding references to women that can be really frustrating in the archives. And it's something that people probably just didn't think about back in the day, but just one of those things that you really have to think of different ways to even see how they were covered when they were. Um, but yeah, really excited about when you do find something, it's like, ah, yes, I found it. You know, this variation of a spelling and um, that's really exciting. I have a question for Kenny now. Bring it on. Um, You've, you've covered a lot of presidents. You've talked to a lot of experts. I think you probably have a good sense of how to answer this question. Uh, let's say aliens are coming. <laughs> now, we'd like to think that they're more advanced and, and peaceful than, than we are, but let's say that they're just as dangerous and volatile. You can choose three presidents, living or dead, as ambassadors to meet with the alien leaders uh, and to save us all. I would ask you, who do you pick and why? And I I would open uh, this question up to everyone after that, too, to see who they might say. Yeah. You know, the question of our time, uh, this one. (laughs) It's relevant, Uh, you know. We're almost there. (laughs) I I
0: think, okay, here's, I think, my three guys. I think first person, LBJ, because he is just the goat of one-on-one negotiations. And if anybody can convince the aliens to spare us all, it's him. What he can do in one-on-one scenarios is just amazing. I think my second guy would be Andrew Jackson, because if we got to start shooting, he's been in what,
2: <laughs> Three a,
0: a shootout in the West, military experience, uh, someone tried to assassinate him and he beat the guy into submission with a cannon. So I think having him in the room is just like a good idea. And then I think my third guy would be JFK, because maybe the aliens will spare us if we can just get them in bed with us. <laughs> and we got to try everything here. So I, yeah, I think those are my three. That's that's a great answer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and what about Jerry, Alicia? Do y'all have any thoughts? So, or even Howard? I'm curious if you had like someone in mind that you expected to make the well, list.
3: Well, LBJ was definitely on my list because you yeah. need someone that can lean in and really uh, intimidate the aliens into getting what you want
2: okay but are we do we really want to mess with people that are probably got better weaponry and advanced life forms like that's that like
3: it's a mix because also on my list would be john quincy adams
2: yeah he was on he's the first one i wrote down oh yeah to do
3: the (laughs) diplomat thing yeah for sure right um and then diplomat then i would think lincoln to kind of tell them stories and schmooze them Mm. and you know that kind of attitude because maybe the aliens have high-pitched voices and he did too i think so they might be on that same wavelength i don't know yeah yeah
2: um well i went with the lifelong diplomat uh, John Quincy Adams, because I just feel like if anybody's going to convince them to maybe not shoot us and blow us into oblivion, it's going to be that guy and all of his multilingual skills. Mm-hmm. And then I went with, okay, who can I, who who would demonstrate kind of the best of what we have to offer, um, just in terms of compassion and empathy and wanting to do good. So I went Jimmy Carter.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I know his presidency wasn't great, but I just feel like you can't you can't not just adore the man. And then um, I wanted to go with somebody who could make others feel like they're super important and that they had a lot of, um, that, they, that they, were, they were successful more than they were. And so I went with FDR.
0: So mm. those would be my nice. three. Nice. Any, anyone you'd add, Jerry?
1: I took a little different of a tact. So <laughs> I was thinking of Theodore Roosevelt because you know mm. he speaks softly and carries a big stick and i think he would just exhaust <laughs> the aliens and they would just say whatever so go awesome. just go ahead <laughs> you've got too much energy for us <laughs> yeah but then i was also thinking of lincoln you know a storyteller somebody who could relate with other folks and then Worst case scenario, Lincoln could distract him with stories, and then Andrew Jackson comes in and just (laughs) eradicates him. So, either way, I think we're good.
3: Yeah. (laughs) That's a great question, Howard. Uh, Thanks. These
0: were some great answers. (laughs) All right, Alicia, I I got one for you next. Uh, Yes, sir. Now, I don't know about Jerry or Howard, but my qualifications for talking about history are a minor I earned in college. And you are blowing me away because you're earning an actual master's in history right now. How has that experience changed your view or appreciation for history? Uh,
2: yeah, so this is a pretty heavy question, it, just in terms of what it's meant to me. Um, I've always wanted to go back and, and do graduate school. And I think rightfully so when I was graduating with my bachelor's degree, um, it wasn't the right time as... as mm. Depressive as it was to get that feedback from from a mentor of mine um, I, I think I needed to go out into the world and experience life and so that led to a lot of trepidation going back into graduate school uh, uh, more than a decade since I had graduated but um, it has been more fulfilling than I think I anticipated and or was prepared for um, I find that. I can't wait to get to class and um, really even readings that I'm not necessarily sure I follow all of exactly what the historian is arguing. I still love their process and the fact that they found something and the whole craft of making an argument. So um, I've always been obviously a big fan girl of historians, anyways, because they're amazing and I love them. But um, getting a chance to like really dive into some of their research has been in a, in a different fashion has been, um, very much a, a good, good journey for the heart. So, uh, definitely went into this with, uh, some, some humility, still have that humility, but just a, a deep, deep, deep appreciation for the subject and what it means and what it can bring and what value it has to, uh, our country if we allow it. So awesome.
0: Well, I'm super proud of you. I think it's so awesome what you're doing. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Nice. <laughs> Okay, my question now is for Jerry. It is impossible to cover every aspect of a presidential administration, though you certainly get close. (laughs) So, given your long format, how do you decide what should be included in the narrative and what actually gets cut? Not that much gets cut, but...
1: (laughs) You would actually be surprised. (laughs) Well, and, and I'll say that is, and it's really episode by episode. I have to make the call. And going into the Madison Presidency Series, I've, that's been one that has been lingering in my mind for a while because it is so easy for the Madison Presidency Series to become the War of 1812 podcast And so I have to evaluate when I'm talking about a battle or a skirmish or whatever, what's going on in a certain place, does it really relate to the story of the presidency or is this more Mm -hmm. of the war? Is this a larger story? And likewise, even though, and it's funny, I had a, a conversation with Peter Stark earlier this year about this, I include so much about events that are happening outside of the U S the Haitian revolution, the French revolution, the Napoleonic wars. And even though folks may question, well, why is this important when you're talking about the American presidency? Because it was important to them because it was what they were talking about. And because these things did impact presidencies Mm -hmm and the course of the nation, and how we, you know, foreign policy was such a large part of the story from the very beginning, and so we've got to understand some things, but then again, I have to ask that question, okay, well, how much do we really need to know about Napoleon and the Peninsular War and this British ministry? I try to tell what needs to be told in order to understand it from the lens of the American presidency, but not go down that rabbit hole. And I do have times that I do recommend folks. I'm like, here's something else that you can check out. Here's a book about this. I can't go into it. We've got to keep moving. And so it's, it's really day by day, episode by episode, but just trying to keep, that focus on the presidency and to keep the narrative moving forward. And so now I've got a question for Howard. Ooh. So Howard, I know that you've been focused on the early presidents for a bit, but it seems like in the last season, plotting started venturing further into presidential history. And I do have to admit the Billy Possum episode is a particular favorite of mine and especially <laughs> Jess's reaction to Billy Possum. <laughs> so are you planning to share more stories in the later eras of presidential history moving forward? And if so, what are you doing to prepare for that?
3: Um, first off, Billy Possum is a, a favorite of mine as well. It was so <laughs> much fun crafting that episode. And I almost felt devious when I was writing it. Because I'm like, you know, I write thinking about Jess and how she's going to react. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to kind of play dumb through this thing about like, why wouldn't children want a Billy possum toy, like a stuffed possum named for William Howard Taft? I just don't get it. Why? Um, And the whole time she's like, it's a possum! It's a possum! Why? It's disgusting! And I'm like, okay, well, let's see. Let's explore. I just felt evil. Um, But that was a lot of fun. I I do love the founding era. I love early American history. There's so many personalities there. I feel like there's so much more to dig into. Um, And you look at a podcast like Ben Franklin's World, there's a lot to play with there that we could keep going. But you're right. I have been branching out a little bit to cover other stories that interest me. We did a little bit with Roosevelt and Taft there and the toys and how that kind of represented the times they were in. I think that's a great gateway to the times because um, it's, it's this possum toy. It's so stupid, but it lets you see what was happening at the time, and it was a weird window into the racism of the time and, and Reconstruction and all these different things that, um, which is really interesting. And you know, when we talked to Kara Finnegan about presidential photography, uh, we opened that episode with a story about Jimmy Stewart and the Swamp Rabbit. And how there was ultimately a picture of that thing that vindicated him but still made him seem like, why is he afraid of this rabbit? Um, <laughs> he really wasn't. He wasn't scared. He was just you know telling it to go away. Um, really what I find myself doing, I think, is playing around the edges of the Civil War. I feel like I'm saving myself for Lincoln. Because I know that's a deep, fascinating hole that, that I may never come out of once I go down. Um, I mean, I'll get there eventually. But... I don't really see myself becoming a civil war guy, but who knows. Um, but yeah, I think that I, I'm just hesitant to dive into that because there's so much there. But I'm getting closer and I think we're gonna we're gonna cover maybe a story about Lincoln uh dueling this season, so we're we're oh. getting there for sure.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Lincoln is one that I've got on my radar as well. I'm like, I've still got a ways to go, but that temptation of just diving in and never coming out of that era
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah so you know the uh carter swamp rabbit episode where yes. he got teased for having run from a swamp rabbit or trying to scare one away to swim toward him in the swamp that happened in uh 1979 that was four years after monty python and the holy grail came out and so i think people should have had more respect for how dangerous rabbits can be <laughs> for real? i'm really surprised it was such a thing
3: you know, yeah, uh, I, I'm, sh- I'm surprised too. I yeah. saw it compared like, to Jaws. The public had been awakened on this peril. And... They should have. I think that was maybe still a little more fringe than the Ma- mainstream maybe. press at that point. You mean they didn't all watch it like a hundred times in their childhood like I did? Not I like us, thought, no. <laughs> wow. They went with a Jaws metaphor instead on the front page of the Washington Post. Um hmm yeah. <laughs> Great poster, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> um, so I, I have a question for Alicia. Hit me. Um, in your history program, which I'm, I just want to live vicariously through, so I appreciate you <laughs> taking <laughs> us on that journey, um, you're reading so many books for your program and for your show, yeah. and I'm wondering if there's one book that you've read that really wowed you and that you think might make the world – a better place if everyone would just read it
2: yeah uh real lot for a, a graduate degree in history for sure okay. um if we're talking but a lot of what you read I, i've found is um really about your research so like yeah there's articles and and definitely there's some books i took a historiography class my first semester um and that was a book a week basically but so much of what you read is kind of diving into your own stuff so I could speak oh so eloquently about the history of welfare and Medicaid and social work because that's basically what my thesis is going to be on. But um, <clears throat> the first semester we I took a, a historiography class and the theme so she built this book the, this class around a theme of the how historians have decided to write about democracy and She definitely took a different tact, and I think it was probably in the light of a post-insurrection at the White House or at the Capitol building um, world. And so one of the books that she had us read was Caroline Elkins, the legacy of violence. And Mm. it is a doorstop. It's Mm. like six, 700 pages. And it's all about the British empire and how it has basically been a state agency of violence in order to get its political well, uh, whims, its economic whims, how it's brought the United States into their kind of state-based power, state-based violence, and um, definitely super fascinating. I think we would understand twentieth-century history a, a scooch more if we really dove into that book. Um, it's a tough one to get through because obviously, legacy of violence, she doesn't play. She kind of lays it all out there but in terms of the research that she did I mean she was looking at court briefs she was looking at um state memos I mean archival research she did I believe she also did oral history interviews or she called previous oral history interviews um and just a wonderful wonderful approach to writing history now, separate and apart from that, in terms of making the world a better place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Although that could be a what not to I do. Think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like we would we would be a better people if we read that book and internalized that book and maybe didn't take it so personally and really just read it for what it was. So it's we not just, a manual?
3: It's not what to do? No. no. <laughs>
2: okay, okay. <laughs> Well, depending on who reads it, no. Um, no. But in terms of making the world a better place, a book that has stayed with me, and I think I've recommended this before on a on another appearance. So for, apologies, but um, Samantha Powers wrote about her time in Barack Obama's administration, and it's the Education of an Idealist. And she's an immigrant from Ireland, and um, you know, a human human rights person, and her story and her. Recollections of her time in service just is so buoyant to the soul that, you know, in a time when we are so angry with our government and so kind of distrustful and disdainful, not that they haven't given us plenty of reasons, um, it's important to remember that it's more to what makes our government function than the big wigs that we see on the television, um, and that there are thousands of civil servants who come to work every single day to really do the best that they can in the circumstances under which they're in um and i just i haven't read that book in like five or six years but it still stays with me every time somebody asks me like what's a book that would make us a better people Mm. i always want to say samantha powers education of an idealist so i had to (laughs) add that one (laughs) so and then now my turn i have a question so kenny Woo-hoo. You made a splash on your show, at least from this history nerd's perspective, <laughs> by scoring the interview to end all interviews, which is H.W. Brands. Mm, so, mm-hmm. who is another dream guest that you'd love to have on your show?
0: Uh, thank you so much, H.W. It took like over a year to make those <laughs> calendars align, by the way, but he was such a nice guy. I was so I felt so privileged to get chat with him. As far as looking forward, the interview I really want to score. As I get toward modern presidencies, I think it would be amazing to find someone who was in one of these administrations and mm. interview them to be like, what was it actually like like in the White House while this was happening, while that was happening? And, and you know one of the things that really started getting me thinking in this way is when I was getting to like Warren Harding. I was looking for authors of books about Warren Harding and John Dean, of all people, the former White House <laughs> counsel for Richard Nixon, who testified against Nixon in front of Congress, He had written a book about Warren Harding. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, will you talk to me about Warren Harding? And he was like, hey, I'm super busy. He sent me like the friendliest email. It was like, I'm really busy, but here's this other historian. Like, you should talk to that guy. And it just got me thinking, you know, there's some people who were there for these events who are live and are really nice people with maybe interesting things to say. So as I as I get closer to the these recent administrations, I really look forward to trying to pursue and and hopefully get some interviews with people who were there behind the scenes when things were happening to get that perspective i think that would just be riveting good question good answer yeah, no, no, no. <laughs>
2: um
0: all right i've got a question for howard uh howard one of my favorite things about your podcast aside from the fact that it's funny and smart as hell is that you tell some of the most fascinating and obscure stories out there. We've, we've talked about them. Billy Possum, Jefferson's killer ram, Dolly Madison's foul parrot, or the Wizard of Oz and William Jennings Bryan. Which, by the way, I really enjoyed that one because I grew up also hearing the myth about Wizard yeah. of Oz. and So I'll, I'm just going to tell you, about it, go listen to that episode to hear what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but how do you find and pick your stories? And also, what's the most unexpected thing, the biggest surprise you've come across so far?
3: Um, let's see. When I think about what stories to cover, I mean, there's a few criteria kind of, um, really, I just follow what interests me. And I think about, I think about Jess as a surrogate for the audience. And I think, is this something that I could tell in a way that would interest her, that would interest somebody who who doesn't have a, a huge background in history, isn't a big history nut. Um, so I look for the, the human drama, um, sometimes some ridiculousness if possible, but something that, that makes me feel something. And that can be anger sometimes about certain stories. Mm. Um, so I look for stories like that. Um, I sometimes get suggestions from listeners. Somebody reached out to me and they're like, mm. hey, have you heard about Andrew Jackson and the Bell Witch? And i was like, <laughs> no, what is this? <laughs> and it's a local legend in Tennessee. And there's a historical marker for it. And I didn't know anything about it ahead of time. And I don't know what it really has to do with presidential history because it's all, you know, BS. But it's fun. And some people believe it. And I started digging into it. And I became part of a Facebook group about it. And this woman reached out to me and said, I've got something that I can share with you, but not here. And do you want to call me? And I'm like, yes. And I realized, what does this really have to do with presidential history? How far have I come from, you know, the, the sort of topic, but it all kind of ties in because there are some people that when they think of Andrew Jackson and his legacy, they associate it with that. So those mm-hmm. kinds of fun stories I like to kind of dig into. Um, when I think about unexpected stories, uh, one or, or something that's been, you know, kind of, wow, that's, that's I didn't know that. Just reading through the letters, um, and they're all on the Founders Archive for the founders. You can read all of the Jefferson Adams letters. It's just great. And uh, recently, I came across one that I'm sure may- maybe you know about this, Jerry, but Thomas Jefferson had a scrapbook, basically, of things that, like libels, things that people said about him yep. that um, either he thought weren't true or were just insults, and... Someone like found this and talked to him about it and wrote to John Adams about it. And John Adams's response was priceless. He said, Oh, I wish I knew about this. Oh my goodness. If I had only thought to do something like this, what great <laughs> massive book could I leave to my children and grandchildren of all these things that have been said about me. And it just makes you think about how these people thought about their own legacy and their mm-hmm. time and just a different kind of side of their personality one other thing that was unexpected that's you know less wholesome, I would say, um, well, I think about sex education back in the day and how mm-hmm. that didn't really exist so much, and I know this wasn't intentional, and it's not really how people thought about educating their children, but it seemed like so often um young people would learn about the world um, because their parents would like move in their cousin, you know, like John Quincy oh. Adams is three sons um they moved in their cousin mary helen who was roughly the same age and i mean she ended up sleeping with all of them one of them was engaged to her and uh that engagement broke off when she ended up marrying the other brother um but you know one of them ended up taking his own life you know, partially because of a downward spiral that may have had to do with his experience with her. Not that it's her fault, because there wasn't much to do back then. I get it. I get it. This is a Jerry Springer episode. (laughs) It was. (laughs) But when I think about James Madison and and how he met uh, the woman that he almost married, it was at a boarding house. You know, it's just, it's interesting to think, like, without, before the internet, before a lot of social events, I mean, they had balls and things, but Um, school wasn't quite what it is today. You met people because they were living across the hall, and so many relationships started that way. So that was one kind of unexpected thing that that I found was just how different the world worked and how people Mm. ended up together, Mm. those coincidences. I have a question for Jerry now. You've branched out, as you said, to cover cabinet members, vice presidents, other important figures outside of the presidency. Um you know, as if your plate isn't full enough. <laughs> Among those that you've covered, who do you think outside of the presidency had the most influence on the country?
1: So I'm sorry, Kenny, but it is seriously not going to be our friend Charles Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh Charles <no way! laughs> Lee!
0: But he taught us so much about <laughs> procrastinating and just not doing things and falling to the top.
1: Just having the cup that's steaming right there on the, the desk. Yeah. Everybody thinks that he's in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was interesting. And, and to your point, Howard, sometimes I I think to myself, what have I gotten myself into that I'm taking on more <laughs> in what's already <laughs> an, an, a big project. But it's also, I really didn't know what to expect when I started the Seat at the Table series. And of course, you know, you've got some figures that, you know, Jefferson as Secretary of State, Madison as Secretary of State, you know, these these figures who are already well known, and we realize that they do have this this huge influence, but... It's always interesting and in, in just not really knowing when I start, okay, well, what what is this person, what are they really doing? What is their real impact? And I think the thing that's been most surprising to me is how so many of the secretaries of the Navy are lesser known, but really should be. Mm. Like the first one, Benjamin Stoddard. Here he comes in, and there's basically, there's nothing. There are plans for the first six frigates of the U.S. Navy, but at that point it's being started under the War Department, and they don't really know shipbuilding. And so in comes Stoddart. He's a merchant. He knows this business. He knows how to get things done. And he is literally building the U.S. Navy from scratch, And meanwhile, he's also entering this cabinet that everybody else is somebody that John Adams inherited from George Washington. And it's dysfunctional. It's awful. You know, these people are at times actively working against the president. And Stoddart comes in and sees this and he starts talking to Adams and he's like, "Um, Mr. President, do you realize what's going on behind your back? Do you realize what these mm. folks are doing? And you start to see a shift and you see Adams getting rid of some of these folks and starting to make a cabinet. Now, granted, he should have done it a few years before, but at least he does make a shift and starts springing folks who really do support him. But arguably, if Stoddard hadn't come in and given him that support, I don't know if that would have happened. And so but nobody knows about Benjamin Stoddard. Likewise, Robert Smith is basically painted based on what James Madison and Albert Gallatin have to say about Robert Smith. And Smith didn't do himself any favors at the end, but he was also a very capable secretary of the Navy in an administration that didn't want a Navy and that did everything they could to tear down the Navy and turn it into the gunboat Navy. And then you get to the War of 1812, and you get to William Jones. Here's this guy who comes in, and granted, the previous Secretary of the Navy, Paul Hamilton, was popular, but he knew nothing about the Navy. He had no experience with merchant shipping, anything like that. And so everything was just going chaotic, and so Jones comes in, and he builds what becomes what we think of as the Navy. He he says, you know, why should the Secretary of the Navy, who can be just any Joe off the street, be deciding naval policy? Why don't we put together a board of naval commissioners who are people who are captains, who know about the Navy, let's have them involved in this policy making process and oh by the way um you've got me and like two other folks sorting through the bills and making arrangements and sending communications we need more than that we need an actual structure an infrastructure to if we're going to make this work and all these folks are just fascinating individuals and they contribute so much to what we now think of as the Navy and played such a key role in American history. And nobody knows about them. They don't have, you know, Robert Smith does have one book that I was able to find. I think it's from the 1970s, <laughs> but the rest of them, they don't, nobody's written about them. They don't have a biography. If there's a thesis out there, like there was one for Jones and that was so helpful because, Otherwise, I was just piecing together from 20 different books. But these are folks that really should be more studied because they had a larger impact than you would think based on what little information there is out there about them. I've got a question for Kenny. So, Kenny, who is the president that you're most excited about discussing in the podcast and the ones that you've got ahead of you? You know, I know you've covered many of them mm-hmm. already, but you've still got some big ones mm-hmm. to come. But then conversely, who is the president that you would have or would like to skip if you had an opportunity to say, I don't really mm-hmm. want to cover that president? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll, I'll tackle these one at a time. Um, first one, who am I most excited about? I am both excited and daunted by LBJ.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah, is that's such,
0: such <laughs> a complex person. Like, how the heck does this guy get civil rights and voting rights through Congress, the great society, like all these things that nobody else has done, aside from Lincoln? And Lincoln didn't have an opposition party, you know? Like, nobody else did the things he did. And at the same time, he's also the guy most responsible for getting us into Vietnam, and he absolutely abused the hell out of the powers of his office. It's just like, what was making this guy tick? I'm just curious what y'all think about this statement. Is he the most complex president in US history? I can't think of anyone else. I would say he's on up I there. I think
2: that's a fair statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel validated. <laughs> <laughs> And then the second part of your question. So I'm really looking forward to LBJ. Oh, I'm just also going to say, I grew up in Texas, not far from where he grew up. So there's also, like, when I read his story, I see a lot of name places that I'm like, I'm tired of reading a guy's from Virginia. <laughs> Thank God we got another fellow Texan here. The Persian River and ice cream at the end of the day. And, oh, I get it. I feel it. All right. Um, so I'm excited about that. Now, as far as if, if I could or if I had to skip a president, i um, I look forward to covering all the remaining presidents but if i had to skip one it would be gerald ford probably he's he's just kind of boring he's he's the only guy who was never even elected to president or vice president you know he kind of really sneaks in there in a weird way um but he he does have the best jokes all at his expense all at his expense (laughs) One of my favorite zingers is actually one from LBJ, which is, you know, Ford's a nice enough guy, but he's too dumb to fart and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I look forward to the laugh hour with Gerald Ford down the road, but uh, I'm not sure there's not a lot else to talk about him. So it'll, it'll be a fun little episode um that gets through everybody has asked each other one question this has been a lot of fun i've i just thought up one more bonus question for everybody so this is for everyone here bonus question if you could have one president <laughs> alive or dead at your family's thanksgiving table this year who would it be now whoever's brave enough to tackle that one first
2: i'll go for it why not let's do it alicia alicia I had five written, so I'm trying to <laughs> to, to make a decision here. Um, so I guess I will go with Lincoln um, for many a reasons. Number one, just because I'd like to, you know, talk to him and hear his history. And um, I think as is expected throughout history, his story has been shifted and reinterpreted depending on what, whomever is trying to argue so i'd like to hear his memories from the horse's mouth i guess so to speak um so and just also what a kind of fascinating boots by you know up by your bootstrap type of guy so i think i would do lincoln
0: i like it all right jerry (laughs) howard you all got one
3: um i think lincoln's a great answer but i can't give the same answer so (laughs)
0: Uh i mean i'm
3: i'm a nut for the adams family i love john quincy adams Mm -hmm. um but i think he in some ways was maybe just a little too curmudgeonly (laughs) curmudgeonly too much of a curmudgeon yeah (laughs) I think curmudgeonly should be a word. Uh, but it's so close to Lee that you're like, did you misspeak? And I'm like, no, I was trying to be weird. Um, but I think John Adams himself would probably be a better guest because I think he just had maybe a better sense of humor. Um, I mean, obviously, with any early president, it would be weird. You know, they'd be asking, what's that? What's that? You know, how does this work? And it's like, shut up and let's just eat. Um, but I think John Adams would be just a real pleasure to meet because he's so... Um, he's got this wit, he's got this warmth for his friends and he mm. kind of has this hatred for a whole lot of other people. And I think that makes for, um, a fun conversation. Nice. nice. Jared, do you got one? I'll, I'll go last.
1: So it depends on how you feel about your family. So if you, <laughs> if, if you didn't like your family, You know, inviting Andrew Jackson or LBJ and then just (laughs) letting them go and just sit back and watch, that could be interesting. (laughs) Luckily, I do like my family, so I won't be inviting them this year. Honestly, I would say Jimmy Carter, just because he is a figure that has fascinated me for a long time. And Kenny, it's interesting, you know, as somebody from the South and knowing that he was a Southern Mm. president in the more recent era, I would just love to hear him talk about his life and just tell tales about what, and, and especially like having read some of his works, I know that it would be a great conversation and just, just to hear from him. I think that would make for a really great dinner conversation
0: Uh, these are all great answers Uh, i think i'm gonna go with theodore roosevelt because he Mm. is just gonna so bogart all the conversation (laughs) that there will be no room for awkward conversations on the dinner table we're just gonna have to listen to him for like eight hours and it's gonna be great so i think he's who i'd invite (laughs) (laughs) well despite that i'm glad that you guys were at my friends giving dinner table right here today this was a really fun conversation i really enjoy this can't wait to do it again next year um this was kenny ryan everybody sign off for me jerry
1: jerry landry signing off thanks so much everybody for being here and thank you so much to each of you for your friendship and for being an inspiration to myself as well as other fellow podcasters Alicia, I'll hand it to you.
2: Oh, gosh. Of course you're going <laughs> to hand it to me after, after those beautiful words. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for having me. No. Um, you know, you you three have been uh, the light of my life ever since I started podcasting. So I appreciate this. I love that, Kenny, you thought of this. And I hope to, to do, do this for many more years. So this is Alicia signing off. <laughs> Go, Howard.
3: Yes, this this was a pleasure. Um, you folks are an inspiration to me, what you do, the dedication, the output Um, it's inspiring and and makes me feel bad at the same time, but, (laughs) um, I just love hanging out and and talking history with you guys and, um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a great time and I, I look forward to, um, where all of your episodes go from here and it it really is speak. It speaks to the podcasting community, especially the history podcasting community, the support that there is for each other and the interest and, um, it's, it's one of the things I found that I'm surprised about how supportive and great that community is. And and the three of you just really epitomize that.
0: Thank you all so much. Such kind words. Great to talk to all of you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Listeners have, uh, I look forward to seeing what all of my fellow podcasters, what y'all come out with over the next year. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Abridged Presidential Histories. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, tell your friends and family about the show, and write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I also encourage you to check out Jerry, Howard, and Alicia's podcasts, Presidencies of the United States, Plotting Through the Presidents, and Civics and Coffee. If you'd like to support this show, you can look it up on Patreon or go directly to www.patreon.com slash Abridged Presidential Histories. This helps me buy books and pay to host the show. And thank you to everyone who's contributed so far. The music in today's podcast is a public domain recording of the United States Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. In our next episode, it's time for JFK. How does a sickly womanizer and war hero become president? Well, it helps when daddy has money. From World War II to the Cuban Missile Crisis, we'll peel back the myth and find out who was John F. Kennedy. That's coming up next on Abridged Presidential
2: Histories.